Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. The Miami Hurricanes are 1 0. They took care of business last night, beating the UAB Blazers 31-14. to They covered the 14.5-point spread, which was very important to a lot of people. Um, not, what do you, Would you say that was important to you, Kevin? Do you put money on these games at all? I mean, 14.5-point spread, was that uh, something nah, that you... No, nah, I don't bet on the games, but I got friends who they really they are just mad at UM for the last couple of years because they've been losing their money betting. <laughs> Well, uh, the, the funny thing is, is last night, this is a true story. We got Kelvin Harris, of course, my wingman. We got Mike Zimmerman, our producer. Uh, and, we're, and we're basically wrapping up this show at around uh, 10 a.m. Friday, a little less than, than 12 hours after uh, the game was completed at Hard Rock Stadium. And, you know, going to share some of our takeaways, talk about what happened and, and, and reflections. But I... I I texted Kelvin last night when it was 17-14, right in that third quarter when um, UAB had scored. And I said, 14-0, and you know, just to kind of tease him a little bit because this thing was then, you know, the game was going a little rougher than expected. And Kelvin's like, ah, it's the first game. And sure enough, Miami goes right back down the field and answers that UAB touchdown in the third quarter to make it 24-14. And then they add another touchdown and they just get over. But... I guess as we're sitting here the day after, right, we finally got a chance to see this Red Lashley offense. We finally got to see, you know, De'Ara King do his thing. Uh, we see some new guys on the defensive side uh, contribute. What's your number one takeaway, Kelvin, when you when you review what what happened last night? I know we, you probably got to answer that phone call, right? That's more important right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got him. Um, they were efficient. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the first game, and it was a. I was glad that they got an opponent like this for two reasons. One, since you know this year they didn't have a spring practice, they needed to have an opponent that wasn't a cupcake because they don't have any cupcakes on the schedule. So you need to have them ready to go from day one. And this offense actually helped them with next week's offense mm-hmm. because. Uh, I think Manny said it in the post-game press conference. You know, this team went to a zone scheme, and actually they made some adjustments from week one to week two because their splits were a lot wider in week one than they were this week. Mm-hmm. But they still were an outside zone scheme team. So now um, these guys have a week of film of, of, of live action of what it's like to run it, to play defense against that that um, that wide zone scheme that they're going to see with uh, Louisville. Um, right. I'm going to need to see some more out of the wide receivers. But other than that, yeah. You take it. You take it for what it is. Yeah. Um, Compared I, to what we've been having the last two years, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you go back and you look at last year and, and the 14 nothing loss to Louisiana Tech and getting beat by FIU, two Conference USA teams. They certainly were better than that. Um, all right. A couple of my thoughts immediately on the game. Number one, I thought Derek King covered up a lot of issues for this team. And if you don't have Derek King at quarterback, I'm not sure you win last night. And what I mean by that is 
you know, with the running game in particular and those RPO actions that they ran. Um, I'm not sure that Cam Harris breaks off a 66-yard touchdown run on fourth and one if the defense isn't thinking about Derek King keeping that ball. Um, and that's one thing that the UAB coaches talked about last night post-game. I don't know if you saw any of their quotes, but essentially, um, you know, their head coach, um, I'm going to pull up those quotes while I'm here. I know I have the box score open and all that because I wanted to talk about this, but some of these quotes I thought were pretty telling, but essentially, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I'm going to find the quotes. Um, bear with me for a second because I have them and I just want to be able to read them to you. Uh, Bill Clark said of uh, the Miami running game, which produced 337 yards last night, uh, the most against an FBS opponent, I think, since 2013 or something like that, and certainly the most since the 2016 opener when Mark Rick was first named coach and they beat, uh, I believe it was either Bethune-Cookman or FAMU, 70-3. This is a quote from uh, UAB's head coach, uh, Bill Clark. He said, uh, the big thing for us was defending that quarterback. Um he said, that's all I've heard. Uh, I mean, it's true. He's electric. I thought we did a pretty good job on him all night. But what happens when you got that zone read is that guy can really run. He holds that outside linebacker, our defensive end. And that is where the zone cut back inside of inside us a few times. Uh, they were playing with tempo, playing fast. And once again, I thought we did a good job. We were probably just worn down <clears throat> a bit as the game went on. Um so ultimately, I mean, the t- the tempo is what won the game for Miami yesterday. And De'Aaron King being able to line up and snap the football, know what to do with it um, with the read option is what won the game for Miami yesterday um, against a UAB team that, yes, they got nine starters back. Uh, they've won that West West division, but it was a struggle, man. When I when I texted you in the third quarter and it was 17-14, I was worried. I thought, man, never worried. <laughs> you were never worried, not once. No, because we were better than them. Well, yeah, I mean, the talent was better, but we, we've seen Miami play that game so many times where they're better than the other team, and then they don't no get Uncle the job Larry. done. There hmm? is no Uncle Larry is in full rehab. He's gone. He's completely gone. Okay. I, I mean, you got to understand something. What you just said about Derek King is like saying, well, you know, when the Ravens, you know, the only reason why the Ravens won is because they got Lamar Jackson. But, yeah. Right. <laughs> Look. Right. Here's the old saying. It ain't the X's and the O's. It's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Right. We got a Jimmy and a Joe. Right. Well, I guess I guess I just assumed that Miami was didn't need just De'Ara King, you know, so badly to beat UAB. I guess I looked at it as going into that game that, that we were well, going to see more out of well, out of some other guys that that well, weren't going to make this game close. That's all. Well, that's that's well, I guess what my no, ex- expectations I think, were. I think they made a concerted effort to run the ball. Because, like, um, I've been on my preview on my podcast. When I looked at UAB's defense last week, I was like, oh, we're going to run it right down their throat. I mean, once once I looked at them and saw them this year, I was like, yeah. Now, what I'm concerned about is I need to see more out of D. Wiggins and Mark Pope. We need to get mm-hmm. some close plays down the field. Or whether Mark Pope or Jeremiah Payton, somebody got to be a deep, deep threat guy. And when I when I when I look at receiving cores, I go back to my senior year in '91. We had what I call the ideal receiving core. We had Demar out there at the seat. He was the uh, all-around guy. He had enough speed. He had height. 
He could run a deep ball, but he could run the, 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 the he, he ran the whole route tree. Then you had Horace at the X, who was running a four three one. All right. But then you had K dub in the slot, who was running four two and could get open across the middle. And then we had a tight end at the end of the year, Coleman Bell, who was a pass receiving tight end. So I match up what we had all the time. Mm-hmm. LSU, LSU fit that bill last year. When I look at our team, D. Wiggins has to be Horace. Mark Pope has to be Lamar. And Harley has to be something, a combination of Kevin Williams and Daryl Spencer. Because right. he's not as explosive as Kevin Williams. Well, there's only been maybe one guy in the history of the school that was explosive as Kevin Williams. You know, that's mm-hmm. Santana Moss. Uh, maybe Travis Benjamin. But he's got to be more efficient, like how Darryl Spencer was with us. So, and then I just think that Red didn't show everything because we got a big game next week at Louisville. So why? The right. whole idea, they went into this game, I can tell, they knew that they could beat this team. They just tried to do it with as minimal effort as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was happy. But you're, you're right. Look, nobody is going to be able to just crash us this year because you saw that kid. I told you. I've been telling you all this. <laughs> and Hasselback, like, I don't know if you – did you listen to the, to the game commentary? Yeah, I did. I had the game on while I was there. I the mean, mm-hmm. I'm st- I, they're still trying to pull his, his, uh, his Johnson out of Hasselback's mouth. I mean, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, listen, I, I think, I guess what my point is, at a certain point, do you become too dependent on De'Ara King to do everything for you? And I guess going into that game, my my feeling was, look, he's going to be a special player. Everybody has to, you know, Lamar Jackson, right? The Ravens, they needed Lamar Jackson to play well to win games last year and go 13-3. and three. He was the MVP of the league. I'm not saying guys don't shine. What I'm saying is when you guys were – in your prime, in the in the 80s and 90s and winning national championships, and I say you guys because you got three of the five rings, I I just didn't always see one guy have to carry the ship. And, and you know, yeah, Gino won the Heisman and Vinny won the Heisman, but, I mean, how many damn good players did they have around them? And I guess last night I came away like, I don't know if Miami wins that game if they don't have Derrick King. That's what I'm saying. Well, I, I that, just, would be, that would depend – on the on 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 the, the scheme as far as like the routes and all that because you know uh, what's his name Kosey Perry can run his offense and he actually is I'm not gonna say he's just as good a passer but he's in the same category now he doesn't run as good but he's got good running instinct and if you notice last night he ran a couple times you know because he may have to play this year you just you don't know but. Mm-hmm. I was more concerned about them five guys up front. Now I feel really good. Now, what Alabama Birmingham did last night is they changed up some things from week one. Yeah, they they, they went with a different scheme. There's no doubt, and 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 Derek talked about that in the post game, and so did Cam Harris and and you know Manny Diaz. Basically, the plan wasn't to come out, I think, and run it 52 times and only throw it 26. Uh, UAB took some things away in the passing game, especially Brevin Jordan in the first half, and I think I, I felt good about the fact that they were able to get Jordan involved in the passing game in the second half. Um, and the reality is he was the passing game, okay? They, they they scored 17 points in the third quarter because all of a sudden now 
you know, you could run a little play action. Brevin was getting open, you know, in the middle of the field. Uh, one thing Rhett did with him quite a bit yesterday was split him out way wide, and he, he was not effective when he was out wide. When he was in the tight end slot area, um, he, he was much more effective, I thought, than playing outside. Um, but a couple things about the passing game. I want to throw some numbers and stats and information at people because I know they tune into us, not just for our opinions, but to learn a couple things. Um, look, Eric was 15 of 23 passing in the game, right? Um, but only four of those completions were 10 yards down the field or longer through the air. So much of that success, 11 of those completions were 10 yards or under, including six at the line of scrimmage or ba- or behind the line of scrimmage, okay? Um, he had to kind of make, you know, an easy passing game sort of work. And I think if this team is really going to be successful and they're going to have a chance to beat Clemson, and you mentioned this, I'm giving you credit for this, Kevin, they, they, the, the receivers have to become a part of this, this, this game. They, it can't just be dink and dunk and and you know try to get brevin open in the middle of the field um there has to be a passing game to this and again it's week one i think Rhett lashley warned us all last week and we talked or i talked about this on the podcast that you know he was kind of warning us a little bit like hey there's gonna be growing pain so i expected that but four of ten is not going to be good enough to win the acc and to get or even get to the acc championship you got to be able to throw the ball down the field a little bit more and I th- and I thought in reviewing Derek, there were moments where he overthrew guys that were open. I mean, he had one to Harley in the second half or third quarter where he just mm-hmm. overthrew him and Harley actually beat the guy down the field, two guys down the field, including the safety. And the passes didn't get there, didn't get to where it needed to be. Um, and, and there were also times in the first half where he felt some pressure. Um, you know, they got well, sacked that's, that's twice. They came with delayed blitzes, like mm-hmm. – uh, what they were doing is, um, out of all the guys up front, the one that I, I looked at the most was Trey Orr because he's the most inexperienced of all those guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, yeah, I guess I guess you could say he's the most inexperienced. He he started, you know, at junior college level. But, you know, Campbell, this was his third start. I mean, he started two games. He started his first career start was against Florida. So he's been in the battle. And so right. – and he played a lot last year. So – a couple of times when they ran those delayed blitzes, he got his shoulders turned, but he was good at the point of attack and nobody was getting beat as far as like pass protection. So, well, I have, I have some of those offensive line numbers courtesy of pro football focus. This is, I'm paying, I paid the big fee. I got all that so I could get the access to some of this stuff. And it's great. We can talk about fee? it. I, I paid the big fee out of my own pocket, out of my own pocket. All right, so ultimately, let's see here. UAB was credited with only seven pressures yesterday and two sacks. We know, compared to last year, I mean, that's like a gold medal performance when when you give up, you know, 51 sacks and and what felt like 2,000 pressures. Um, This unit played a lot better, and three of the pressures are blamed on on De'Ara King maybe holding on to the ball a little bit too long. In fact, both of the sacks are credited to De'Ara King. Not offensive linemen, but the fact that King didn't get the ball out of his hands. Um, among the offensive linemen uh, who gave up pressures, DJ Scaife gave up the most. He was your starting right guard. He gave up two. Um, and then Will Mallory gave up one and Jared Williams. That's it. So if you if you go back and you look at the grades, according again, this is pro football focus. And I, and I know I don't want to say these guys – 
especially when it comes to grades. They, you know, the coaches have talked about this. They don't know the scheme. They don't know the play call, but they do know from watching the film and you can tell, okay, who, who let that guy get to the quarterback? So I, I saw one for sure last night with my own eyes where I know DJ Scaife got beat and, uh, Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, Derek got sacked. Um, I didn't. Re- I don't remember. I don't recall the the play where Jared Williams got beat. Um, I don't either. On the pressure, but he was credited with one of them. So, um, but I mean, that's a pretty good score, is it not? I mean, when you guys back in the in the in the dinosaur age when you played in the late eighties, early nineties, did they have these kind of stats? Did they talk about this kind of stuff? Did Kehoe bring up, "Hey, you gave up three pressures"? Because I know they kept track of pancakes. But I'm wondering, did they keep? Yeah. Did they kind of give you this information as well? We got a run grade, pass grade, an effort grade, and okay. you know they kept track of if you gave up sacks, pressures, and what the fucks. So they knew they knew it you all. So all this bullshit that they all this bullshit they feed us, no, we don't do any of that. It's bull. You, they do get all that stuff. <laughs> Man, they've been keeping track of sacks and pressures. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, I just I know, find it interesting though. It's just funny to me. I mean, I can still pretty much remember all the pressures I gave up. You can, huh? Wow, all these years. I mean, yeah, well, but no, they, you know, and, and and then like on defense, for instance, we had this, we had this, uh, like when I was playing defensive line, which of them had a, a ratio. Uh, it was one to four, and that was pretty mm-hmm. standard. You had to make a play every four plays, whether it be a tackle, sack, tackle for loss, hurry, fumble recovery. If your ratio wasn't one for four, you couldn't play for you. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard that most teams have adjusted that like one to five, one to six because of these up-tempo offenses, you know. But, yeah. So, no, there's, listen, all this stuff that you, you guys are getting now, they had that. Like, i never forget this. I remember when Butch, they got this machine my second year there, which came in all excited, and they could just put all the stats in the machine and it would give them Third and long tennis, first and ten tennis, second and long tennis, third and short. Mm-hmm. Just you know, there wasn't an internet to put it all out there. I mean, I commend Pro Football Focus for you know trying to you know there, there's a big there's a big um, appetite for this stuff. But I watched Jared Williams and Treyor specifically, and and Corey as well, and. They were stout at the point of attack. Jared Williams looks really good. Um, yeah, he graded the high, highest, by the way, among the offensive linemen. He was the third, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, of all the offensive players yesterday. Um, he graded the third highest behind Derek King and Jalen Knighton. Um, but as far as the linemen, he was the top-rated uh, lineman off of yesterday, graded Campbell out at 74.3. Campbell didn't look bad, um, but you got to think about something. They're going up against some pretty good defensive linemen. In practice. Mm-hmm. Now, I watched Jalen Phillips yesterday, and that guy plays the run really well. He's really he is really technically sound. Like, but we're uh, gonna get to defense in a minute. I, I wanted to share some of these offensive line grades. Okay. By the way, see see if you agree or disagree with them. So, Jared Williams is the highest rated offensive lineman, seventy four point three. Played all eighty two snaps. Um, let's see here. The next offensive lineman was Corey Gaynor, sixty-two point four, which is about an average score. If you get sixty, you're 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 around average. Um, uh, Zion uh, Zion played three snaps at the end of yeah, yesterday's game. Three so, four. so did Cleveland Reed and Ja'Kai Clark. So they all got in for three snaps in that, that series. 
Um, they are graded literally at 60, which is, is tells you that, you know, that's what average is. Cause they, they it really, you don't get a grade for that, for those three snaps. Um, and then DJ Scaife was 59.9. So just below John Campbell was 59.8. And then Usman, uh, Treyor, who was their starting left guard yesterday, uh, 57.5, which is a little, which is the lowest of the five guys. Um, but in the end, I mean, those are much more respectable scores. I could go back to last year and, and, and find the numbers. And there were games where guys were scoring in the thirties and the forties. Like that's the, you know, really, really poor grades for their offense line play. So in the end, I thought the biggest concern coming into the season, or at least on most fans' mind, the offensive line, they did a pretty good job against a, a unit that, wasn't bad on defense, brought back nine starters and had some guys that are probably going to be playing in the NFL. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, I know everybody was worried about the O-line, but after I met, you know, got got a chance to get to know Garen and we got Jared Williams and I saw what he did in spring, I wasn't worried. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just now, can we recruit some linemen and, um, you know, build some depth? And, you know, I know that the the Isaiah Walker kid is – it's hurt that he's not eligible, but he's going to be red-shirted anyway. Right. Well, that was the interesting news development, by the way. I, I tweeted it out during the game, but your, your, your two favorite guys, 57 and 75, as you like to call them, um, Zachary uh, or Zelante Hillary and uh, Kylie on Herbert, they both opted out, according to Manny Diaz, yeah, um, in, in August. Um, so that hurts your depth a little bit, only from the offensive tackle position, because I thought – Kyle Leon might be your fourth offensive tackle. So now you've basically got the two starters. Well, there's Chris Washington now who I guess that's the interesting development is Chris Washington really able to be your number four guy as a true freshman. He was, he was a guy I thought that was going to need time to develop. Well, let me be honest with you. If we got to play Chris Washington, it's a problem. Yeah. Well, my guess would be at that point you, you put, Either Jalen Rivers out there at tackle, although he's been playing mostly guard, and then, uh, or if not, you you grab DJ Scaife and you move him back outside, and you put Jakai Clark back in at, at right guard. Is what I assume they would do, or you put Zion have, Nelson in there. We we are eight deep, nine deep. Right, right. You know how many schools in the country are nine deep? No, there's not many of them. There's not. There's not really. I think Alabama's probably 19 deep because of the number of uh, offensive linemen that they uh, signed. But, um, but you're right. For Miami, this is a great position to be in. But that was. I'm just sharing the news, talking about what I saw, what happened. Well, um, to be with you, 75 is never going to play here. Right. So, but we need him. For, we need him for practice. You know, you need a. You know, you need a scout team. Seven <laughs> has some ability. I don't know what went into, you know, his decision. I mean, you know, his parents, we don't know what kind of a situation with their, with their families as far as like the, the, uh, the, um, you know, the virus. So, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, too down on him, but 75, he's never going to play. 57, there was some potential. I mean, this, you know, what the the old line coach is telling me, you know, he sees some potential in the guy. He shows flashes. He just, I think he has confidence issues. Because he had a, a bum shoulder coming in and he had a bad knee. But honestly, uh, I think the Chris Washington kid is going to pass him. And, you know, you got, well, the other kid coming in next year, McLaughlin, he is uh, he's a project. 
but Jalen Rivers is a tackle, so he's passed him up. No, they're going to have enough. I, I just meant for depth this year. You know, that's the one The one thing you can say is their fourth offensive tackle is out, and now that causes you to make a couple of other chess moves in case they're injuries. That's all. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a serious loss, but in case fans want to know what the perspective is from our, from our end, you and me knowing this team as well as we do, I think you have to acknowledge that, okay, it kind of sucks you lost your four, fourth offensive tackle, and now you probably have to play some freshmen or potentially move DJ Scaife in the event of injuries. But right now, they're a healthy football team, it looks like to me, for the most part. I mean, now, Cam you know, Harris, yeah. Cam, Cam, Cam has like a bruised shin, I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's what it looked like. Yeah, that's what I and that's what I perceived it to be uh, from watching him and seeing him walk off. I think he just got hit low, so he might have like you know a bone bruise or whatever just uh, on the shin. Um, but he was fine. He said he told us after the game yesterday he was fine, which is good because as as good. And we'll talk about the running game real quick. And I, I just think you know obviously I already gave Derek a ton of credit. He ran for eighty three yards of those three hundred and thirty seven. But Cam had the sixty six yard run and. Um, as a team, they had 11 runs over 10 yards, and Cam had four of them, Derek had four of them, and and then the freshman had, I think Jalen Knighton had two, and Don Chaney had the one long run. So they were able to get out in space against a good defense and create uh, big plays, explosive plays, which is what Rhett Lashley wants. Um, and, and the good news is it looks like Cam Harris is going to be okay. But... Um, you know, 337 yards rushing. I don't know if they're going to do that every single week. Um, I, I, it could happen again this week. It could because Louisville's defense is, was an issue last year for them, and I don't know how much better that group is this year. Not I have much. to sit down and break down Louisville. Uh, from, they're playing this weekend, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah, so we'll get a chance to see what they look like. But um, I, I just think, you know, expecting 337 every single week is probably tough with this offense. Let's move on to defense, bro, because we spent a lot of time. I don't know. Was there anything else you want to touch on with offense? Just that I'm going to need to see more out of Wiggins and Pope. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Maybe fumbling the ball. Yeah, well, Pope, I I don't know how much longer you keep him at the, the kick returner, punt returner spot, but we'll get we'll get to special teams quickly uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, let, let's move on. Let's move on to defense. I'm going to give out a few defensive grades. Um, number one, Gervin Hall, according to Pro Football Focus, he graded out the highest, uh, 71.2. Uh, Jalen Phillips was next, 69.4. Cam Williams, who played 16 snaps, a defensive end, um, he graded out 69.1. Bubba Bolden, fourth, he was uh, 68.0. And then to Corey Couch, uh, played 29 snaps. He graded out 65, uh, 67.0. The, the guy I thought that looked the best to me, believe it or not, on defense um, was – was Nesta. Yeah. I mean, that to me was the most encouraging sign. I completely agree with you. And he is the sixth greatest, highest uh, graded guy, according to PFF. Well, it wasn't um, Nesta. It was John Ford. It yep. was 81, uh, Harrison Hunt. It was Jordan Miller. And I brought this up on my podcast when I do the preview of the scouting report. Mm-hmm. They run a wide zone offense. So what, what you have to do as a defensive tackle, you don't chase the lineman. You shoot right. the gap. So when they go wide, you go up the field. You got to get vertical. And they did a mm-hmm. great job of that last night. Nesta, Ford. Ford is a hoss. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to be getting moved off the field. Now, like, the key to this defense is two things. The triangle 
inside, which is the two defensive tackles, Ford, Nesta, Miller, Harrison Hunt. And, mm-hmm. and the dancing bear, when he got in, he looked good. Um, right. And the middle linebacker, whether it be uh, Bradley Jennings, Sam Brooks, uh, Zach McLeod, they have to stop the run. The two corners and the two ends, they're the pass. Like, Phillips, we, I would like to see us play a little more press because what's going to happen is, and you saw it last night, this team knew they couldn't sit back there and go deep mm-hmm. because Roche and Phillips is coming. Right. So you as a corner have to know if you get up close and press, you're not going to get beat because they got to right. get rid of the ball. So I need to see more out of Blaze and Ivy. They're the key yeah, to this whole thing. I agree completely, and and a couple more things I want to share. Okay, so there were 62 defensive snaps in all. Um, you had 24 guys get in there, and I saw a lot of rotation, especially at the linebacker spot. Yeah, Steve Brooks. I mean, Ryan Ragone even got on the field, which, you know, he's the oh. guy everybody, all the fans turn on immediately when they see him on the field. I, I don't know why they treat Ryan like that. Yes, he had a couple mistakes in his past, but it's like he gets the uh, – the, uh, the Knowles treatment, you know, that Knowles got last year at safety. Everybody kind of, like, just boos him because of who he is. And it's like, <coughs> you got to give the guy a chance, right? You got to give him a chance. Well, I think the game that he came in, it was, you know, he had to play. And honestly, I think that he was in a tough situation. And then he, for the most part, didn't play bad. He got beat on a player too, And, you know, they're holding and I this is gonna sound crazy. I think there's a little white guy bias here. They're like, hey, we got this short white guy up here. We're better than this. Because he doesn't look like an athlete, but he is fundamentally sound and he's in the right place at the right time. But when you look at Ryan Ragone, he's not what you expect UM to have at linebacker. I mean, he's not Dan Morgan. Dan Morgan, you know. So, but he's done something. He's a smart kid, knows where to be, and he's not gonna hurt us. They're not going to let him on the field if they think he's going to hurt us. Well, in return, in terms of snaps and how that sort of worked out, Zach McLeod ended up playing 31 snaps yesterday, so half the game. Um, he didn't grade out well, by the way. He had uh, a 53.7 grade or whatever from Pro Football Focus. He ended up making uh, two tackles. Uh, he was targeted four times in coverage, gave up three catches for 34 yards. So he got exposed a little bit in the passing game, Zach McLeod did. Um, and then the other linebacker spots, Bradley Jennings played 36 snaps. Uh, he was beaten once for a, a four-yard pass in coverage. Sam Brooks played 26 snaps at middle linebacker. Um, did, I don't think he produced any tackles or any uh, pressures or any. It wasn't even in coverage. Wayman Steed ended up getting 13 snaps. So when you look at the breakdown of middle linebacker, it was Jennings 36, Brooks 26, Steed 13. So that's, I know the linebacker position was big, obviously, with no Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney. Um, that's the way the grades uh, came out there. And then um, in the secondary, I, obviously, I think that's the number one concern. And, and you brought it up with DJ Ivy. Um, the touchdown pass that he got beat on yesterday didn't even whip his head around in the first half. And that, that was a little troubling. Like, okay, get ready, look for the football. And I think that's the number one concern you have with him um, because that's what happened to him against Georgia Tech last year and other games when he got beat. Uh, In the end, Ivy got targeted four times. He gave up two catches for 44 yards in the game. Um, 
Al Blades actually was targeted more. He was targeted seven times, gave up four catches for 37 yards. He also had a pass breakup. Um, Blades ended up getting the best get, uh, grade uh, among the cornerbacks in, in terms of coverage. Um, he didn't play bad. Who, Blades? No, he played well, I thought. And actually, you know, Ivy tackled pretty good. They both tackled pretty good. Couch looked pretty good. Uh, the Christian Williams kid got in a little bit. Right. Yeah, I'm looking here at uh, some of the snaps as I scroll through here with the stats um, in front of me, the, the, the place, the, the snaps and everything else and the grades. Um, let me look here at the secondary. So Gervin Hall played 46 snaps at safety, um, at strong safety. Uh, Bubba Bolden got 40 snaps. Gilbert Frierson was in for 33 at the striker. Where is Amari Carter? Uh, Amari Carter played 50 snaps. So when you look at the safety breakdown, 50 snaps for Carter, 40 for Bolden, 46 for Hall. And in terms of the grades for those guys, Hall, I mentioned earlier, was the the highest graded. Bolden was fourth. Um, Amari, where was he? He graded out below average. And I think part of that with Amari was uh, a missed tackle. He had one missed tackle. Um, In fact, last night Miami had five missed tackles in all, according to Pro Football Focus. Hall, Jennings, Carter, Frierson, and Steve all got uh, hit with one missed tackle in the game. Um, I don't know, man. I thought they played well. I thought, for the most part, the run defense did a good job limiting them to 80 yards. I thought the one area was just, you know, in in coverage where DJ Ivy um, didn't look as good as you wanted to look. And any agree with agree with that or, or disagree with that? Well, yeah, DJ was kind of disappointed on that first that first uh, that touchdown. But other than that, they were pretty solid. I think their idea was, look, this team ain't gonna beat us deep. We just got to rally to the ball when they throw it short you know, and make tackles. And they did a good job of that. I thought was interesting was listening to Hasselback talk about, man, this feels like UM of old. I was like, wow. I mean, it was, it felt different. Like, like you know, when you text me, it was like, hey, 14. I was like, I never at one any point in this game were like, oh, I was like, okay. It, this this is one of those um, workman, what they call it, workman-like efforts, you know, mm-hmm. Working out kinks, work. They were like, I don't think the coaching staff went into this game thinking they could lose. No, I think there was a lot of confidence, certainly in the play calling. I thought, you know, at halftime when Manny met with reporters or met with the sideline reporter for for the ACC network, he sounded confident up fourteen seven. So I agree with that. I just think, again. I still came away with the impression, like, I don't know if Miami wins that game without Derrick King yesterday, offensively. I don't know. They, they they certainly needed him yesterday to win that game. And then B, you know, was 17-14 in the third quarter, like, okay, I, I got that Uncle Larry feeling. You know, like, oh, man, Uncle Larry, please don't show up. I don't want to – I don't want them to lose this game because I don't want all these fans upset and having to, you know, sort of – revisit this whole thing is Manny the right coach uh in the end they did what they had to do they won the game 31 to 14 they covered the spread as I said they got a lot mm-hmm. of they, they guys in on defense the, they could have scored some more points yeah but it was obvious it's like look you don't have no preseason yeah you scrimmage against yourself but this is another opponent you got another game coming up where you really don't want to show much because you, you know next week is for the marbles you start playing you know conference games so let's work on the run game. 
Um, let's work on run defense. You know, it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, 65 to 13 or something like that. But it was, you know, because I had predicted 52-21. I really didn't believe that they mm-hmm. could score 21 points on us. But I was just trying to be a non-homer. I figured right. they would score 14 to 17 points. Because when I watched them the first week, I was like, they're not going to score on us. Right. And think about it. If Pope don't form that ball, they don't score 14. Right. Mike uh, Zimmerman forced me into giving a prediction with a score. I said Miami would win by, by 24. They ended up winning by 17. And I, I, I think I predicted 44 to 20. Um, and and so in the end, I mean, I was a touchdown short, but you're right. I think they kind of took their foot off the gas pedal in the fourth quarter. They were up 31-14. To me, they started to play more like a team protecting a lead versus, hey, we're going to step on somebody's throat and destroy them. Well, um, well, you got to think about something. You don't want to push the envelope and get somebody hurt. Right. In a game that really don't count. When you know you got a gauntlet coming up. Because let's think about it. You got Louisville on the road. And I don't think Louisville is as good as they think they are. If people think they are, but still it's on the road and it's a formidable opponent. Then you got your rival next week, the week after that, whether they're Florida State. Then you got the the boogeyman the next week after that, which right. so you got a three game gauntlet and you know, why are you going all out on a team that you shouldn't be going no more than sixty miles an hour? Yeah. Well, um, they got the job done. That's what matters. They won 31 to 14. Uh, style points, maybe not all there, but uh, in the end, the Canes got the job done. They won the game, and now they go into week two against Louisville uh, with a little bit of confidence. We'll, we'll study what the Cardinals look like uh, and come back with another show next week. But we got to wrap this thing up. A couple more little sh- quote-unquote shout-outs, uh, special teams-wise. Uh, I thought the punter uh, did a great job yesterday. He averaged 47 and a half yards a, a punt, our, our, everybody's favorite uh, Australian. He did a great job punting. And then um, the kicking game with Borgales. Uh, we got the best kicking game in the country. Punting, could, kicking, kicking off. There ain't going to be no kickoff returns against us this year. Right. There, there may not be. I mean, everything was in the end zone for touchbacks. And I was worried about Borgales, by the way, for a half second because somebody oh, for right. UAB – Ran right into his foot right oh. after he kicked that extra point, and I was worried. I was sitting there tweeting like, "Oh man, this is this is not good," and and you know he kind of like limped off the field a little bit, and you know what was walking funny for a minute, but he stayed in the game and he did his job. So you got not only do you have a good kicker, you got a tough kicker who who, who got hit pretty hard. Um, I think it was might have been the shin, the same thing that happened to Cam Harris, but. Uh, but anyway, man, they got the job done. We're going to wrap it up. We got to put this podcast out soon here. Uh, our producer, Mike Zimmerman, uh, thanks for always doing a great job as you do. Kelvin Harris, thank you for coming on, man, and, and talking about week one with me. We will be back next week with an episode on Wednesday, and then um, we will be watching the Louisville game, and, and Kelvin and I will get together again, and we'll, and we'll give you our thoughts on where the Canes stand. All right, that wraps it up for Wide Right. See you later. Miami, the new Miami. Surge, surge, the new Miami, the new.